Brandon Davis, Swan Energy. Jeremy Pate, engineer at Swan Energy. Imran Khan, Swan Energy. Appreciate you three joining me here today. The Triple Towers of Power, Swan Energy. <laughs> yeah, one of those days, guys. I tell you, I, I, it was my inbox was full over the weekend. I could barely uh, deal with you know the Fourth of July. Of course, I had some computer issues last week, so it was a catch up time. But a lot of them had to do with Chesapeake whiting, extraction oil. What's going to happen? And I was thinking about our conversation a few weeks ago about market correction. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are freaking out about the bankruptcies and, and Chesapeake and, and all these other things. But, you know, those assets are still going to transfer. And, and a lot of those wells are still going to need to be drilled. And, I mean, I guess I don't look at it as much as the doom and gloom that the mainstream media portrays out there. So, uh, I'd like to just start off with that a little bit, if you guys don't mind. That's kind of the hot topic in the news right now. So uh, the bankruptcies, and I guess I, I'm looking at more as a opportunity with a market correction as opposed to the world's coming to an end. Uh, you know, Mr. Brandon Davis, you're the CEO. We're going to start with you on this one. Oh, no pressure, I guess. <laughs> I, I get the hard questions. <laughs> well, we got, yeah, it's, it's the hot stove, you know. I have a quite an optimistic look at, as far as looking forward, and I don't know that that's going to change, and I don't know what I, that I have a choice. Um, yeah, you you got to take the the hand you're dealt, and here we are, and there's not a lot to do about it. Doom and gloom speaking and talking doesn't do any good, doesn't help. Uh, it just brings out more doom and gloom. So forget all that. Um, I think that right now the last what 45 days oil price has been about as stable as it's been in the last two years kind of just steady on about 40 barrel 40 dollars a barrel it's not horrible um and i hope that continues i think it will uh i think that if it stays where it's at or a little higher and there's going to be a lot of opportunity and i think uh, six not six months from now there will be about 500 percent more uh opportunity than there is today so we're gonna keep plugging away and doing what we're doing and move forward without really worrying about it because you can't. Jeremy, I, I, learned long, I learned a long time ago, Jason, that I, that I cannot, I, I, if I worry about things that I can't control, then I worry all the time and I don't get anything done. So that's not something that's part of the equation for me. Jeremy, how about from your perspective out in the, you know, call it the outside sales world or the, the networking world. I mean, we're all selling all the time, but when you're out there talking to people, obviously uncertainty comes out a lot. And, you know, we're out there talking about COVID and Russia and OPEC and all these other things. Uh, just like I said, Chesapeake. Uh, are, are you hearing, you know, the optimism that, that Brandon's talking about out, of, out there? Or are you hearing some other things? And how are you kind of combating this a little bit? Because at the end of the day, like I said, the assets are still out there. We're still moving ahead, so the idea is to keep the optimism move, moving forward. So uh, just kind of an update from, I guess, your department, your line out there in the field. Yeah, well, you know, I guess um, from the, the market ac marketing and acquisition side of things, it's, it's really slow right now. Um, you're seeing people like uh, SM pull their, their, pull their sale. Um, what is that, you know, situations like that, what are they all about? Well, uh, I think you have me on record as saying that uh, hedges are fool's gold today. 
And going into Q4, there's going to be a lot more bankruptcies. And I think that's where we're at. And so for a company like Swan and for Brandon to have the optimism that there's going to be opportunity, there will be. Uh, it's probably going to be a little bit more uh, prolonged. We probably won't see those opportunities till 2021. But, um, you know, I, I, I guess I kind of take take things in stride and look at it the same way Brandon does. It's op- it's optimism for us because uh, we're, we're going to benefit from other failures, I guess, is, is – uh, we hope we do. We hope we do. Well, and, and Emron, I'm going to throw the ball over to you here next as far as the, the triple towers of power with the conversation. Uh, Swan Energy, of course, looking at the optimism out there. I, I just talked to William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group. You know, they're building a refinery during all this out in the middle of North Dakota. And what we talked about was the optimism behind building a refinery in a market like this. And the uncertainty behind the oil and gas industry right now is amplified, but it doesn't matter because there's always optimism and there's always opportunity out there. Emron, talk to me a little bit about finding some of those opportunities out there because they always are out there. And I mean, anyway, I'll just hand it off to you a little bit, talking about the marketplace and uncertainty and how you guys are finding those areas of opportunity. Well, thanks, uh, Jason. First thing that I'd probably mention is, you know, uncertainty creates opportunity, right? Uh, I think that that's always the case. Um, I don't know over the weekend if you guys saw, but uh, uh, I think there was an announcement from Dominion uh, stating that they were not going to be moving forward with uh, their their pipeline that they were doing around around the Virginia area. And then right after that, um, Berkshire Hathaway invested something like $10 billion into Dominion and um, bought their natural gas uh, division from them. So I think um, you know from uh, from an opportunities and uh, they're they're definitely out there. Um, you know, big guys like uh, Buffett are going out. You know, I think a, a wise man once told me, and he's in the room with me right now. Billionaires don't spend billions if they don't make money. Uh, you know, so they they. Uh, He's out there buying things up, and uh, it's nice to see. I think that's really a nice boost in uh, in today's market, especially when, when you think of oil and gas. Brandon, you mentioned about how natural gas is a big part of your portfolio going in 2021. Uh, piggyback off what Emron was talking about, how you guys identified natural gas, what you guys are looking for in the natural gas opportunities. We're looking for good opportunities, and we don't care if it's natural gas, oil, um, combination thereof, wind, solar. I don't care. Uh, we're looking at every opportunity, and uh, we like uh, smaller projects. We're a smaller shop overall. You know, somewhere in the five to twenty million dollar range is our our main wheelhouse, and and any deal that's out there that has upside that uh, that needs some capital right now is is what we're looking for and what we're looking at, and it, we are not worried about specifics as far as what it does as long as it has the opportunity to make good upside we're interested in gas obviously it's suppressed and has been and will be and we're we're going to keep looking at that Uh, but as far as opportunities go we will look at any opportunity you mentioned the dominion pipeline Uh, i was going to ask you about if you guys had any opinions on that because in the same weekend you had the uh the atlantic pipeline that they decided to pull out on the, the East Coast. And then 
a day later, the Keystone XL says, no, we're moving ahead. And it's just interesting to me uh, how that works in different perceptions in different areas. You know, New York, Pennsylvania, they've got a whole different view than the Midwest when it comes to some of the perceptions of oil and gas. Are you guys finding that this uh, perception issue is bleeding into uh, your endeavors? I, I just The only reason I bring it up is because of the pipelines, and then I just talked to the William Prentice, the CEO, who spent two years in court taking on uh, uh, environmental activists, basically. And then, of course, you got Wells Fargo and a lot of the banks making sure that people are certified with the ESG uh, type of uh, certifications and, and, and that type of thing. Uh, are you guys running into that at all as far as an advantage, disadvantage, or is it just kind of one of these new things where, all right, we got to get some new training classes, and that's where we're at? <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, we haven't ran into anything. And okay. We're in Houston, so Houston would rather, if you talk to someone who's not in the oil and gas business in Houston, they would rather pay $3 a gallon for gas than a dollar fifty because they know ultimately it's going to make them more money on real estate, on services, or anything else that they provide to any company in Houston because oil drives it. So we deal with a lot less of that here than than others do in other states and other places. Um, but we haven't dealt directly with any of that. Yeah, it's somewhat kind of it's it's still new, but I, I have been noticing it more and more. And like I said, we just talked to the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, and they had to go through it uh, basically as part of their court procedures, you know, but they're building the first greenfield refinery in the last 50 years in, in the United States. So just a, uh, just a little bit different, just trying to read the tea leaves a little bit out there. And anyway, when you mentioned Dominion Energy, that made me think of it. And uh, Duke Energy, I think, is involved with that as well. Uh, Jeremy, let's, let's, hear, let's hear your natural gas talk out there. You're mentioning uh, it's, it's slow, but... Uh, uh, we're we're talking natural gas, so we got to give you an opportunity to get your plug in there. Well, I, I think that uh, natural gas is poised to make a make a rebound next year. Um, I think you're going to see it continue to be depressed for a little while, but overall, there's good value in acquiring assets that are that are natural gas heavy right now, and I think that's what I'm looking at is looking for the opportunity to get in a, a, a very sizable acquisition play that uh, has a lot of upside, whether that's oil upside or future upside with natural gas as well. But uh, there is good value in those deals. And I, and like I said, I think eventually the natural gas has to rebound. It, it needs to kind of separate itself from oil a little bit. And I think that <coughs> that's going to happen in the near future. Brandon, you mentioned clean energy or wind, solar. Uh, Emron, if you want to take this, you can t you can take it as well, whichever one uh, feels appropriate. But I was looking at the an article coming out of the Houston Chronicle over the weekend, and it talked about clean energy eclipsing oil and gas in Texas. And I, I get it. There's so much subsidies involved that it's just, you know, that makes the whole thing political and debatable and all this other stuff. But you mentioned that you know you're you're looking at the wind and solar opportunities if they're there, and I'm looking at you know the word clean energy, uh, eclipsing oil and gas, but at the same time natural gas is considered a clean energy. So it's an interesting little little wordsmithing they're doing there to allow natural gas to come in into wind and solar a little bit later on. But uh, talk to me a little bit about the diversification of your portfolios in terms of uh, wind and solar. Is this something you've always done, or is this just kind of 
changing with the times? Uh, we, we've never really done it, uh, but we've always looked at it from an economic standpoint. I, I have a hard time getting into something that only makes money if it has subsidies. Um, because if the subsidies go away and you're neck deep in it, you're, you're really in trouble. And that's what I've tried to avoid. Though, you look at some of these wind farms and, and they're so massive. And obviously, someone else had much more risk tolerance to that state, from that standpoint than I do. I'm not tied into the government well enough to know um, how that's going to all work. So I have, I, have, I have bowed out up to this point. But we are absolutely looking. We've looked at um, a solar farm. We've looked at um, plastic into to fuel. Um, and we're still in the process of looking at that. Um, and anything else that may come up. I mean, that's, it's wide open and there's lots of opportunity. So I just, I like to make money. My investors like to make money. And um, if there's a way to do it safer, cleaner, and better, we'll do it. Interesting about the subsidies and the danger behind that, because I totally see what you mean, where if, if you're not going to get, you know, 50% of your base taken care of by a government subsidy, that's too big of a risk. And if you're not guaranteed that type of thing, wow, that can just turn very, very quickly on a dime. So it's interesting to hear you talk about looking into that, because that, to me, that's what I've seen the marketplace going to where, uh, in, in North Dakota, uh, they've got people that, that part of their business plan, subsidies are part of their business plan, and they flat out say they're not going to do the project and, um, unless they get. Well, bankruptcy is like the bankruptcy is the business plan for wind farm. I mean, that's what they all do. They build a wind farm, they file bankruptcy, wipe out the debt, and then they spin it off at something else. Yeah, it's really true. It's not like companies that drill wells in the Bakken. Yeah. Very similar. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, they talk all all they want about bankruptcies and oil and gas, but in renewables, bankruptcies are very prevalent. And right now, you know, it's it's being really shown how much of a strategy it is in the marketplace. I think. Yeah. I mean, without a doubt, you know, it, anytime you like look at Chesapeake, they're going to wipe out $7 billion in debt. How does that work now? I mean, I know you guys aren't attorneys and you, you're not with Chesapeake, but when an oil and gas company declares bankruptcy like that, restructures their debt, who who ends up really getting kind of the brunt end of that? I mean, I, I can tell you, as somebody who works in, you know, primarily advertising and marketing, we generally don't get paid if somebody goes bankrupt. And when I worked in the real estate uh, magazine business, you know, I had 45 different uh, bankruptcy notices from builders and developers and contractors back in 2007 and eight, when the housing crash came. And, you know, I never saw a dime of that stuff. So is it the small businesses and, you know, and the kind of the, the, the supply chain that doesn't get paid on that? I mean, because I know some people do get paid. Anyway, I'm attorneys, not. attorneys are huh. attorneys are the ones that get paid in, in bankruptcy because you have to have money uh, to pay your attorneys going up front. And then, you know, they get the, uh, you know, and and so anytime I've ever had a payable from a company that's gone bankrupt, I've never gotten paid a penny. Yeah. And as far as how all that works, I don't know because I've never done it and I don't plan to and I don't really care how it works. I think it, I, I just I don't agree with the business model personally, but. Sure does seem like a popular thing to do. Well, and that, that's why I was curious about it because, I mean, to me, it just seems like there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, midstream companies that are probably not going to get paid by Chesapeake. 
then if they're going to, I don't know. That's why, I, but you, if you wipe out seven, how much was it? 7.8 billion? Seven, seven billion. Yeah. Seven billion. Seven billion dollars. You know, that's a lot of money to wipe out uh, in receivables. So that means there's a, that, I mean, that's more than most small countries. Yeah, well, not to give too much color commentary on it, but I know they did have like a billion dollars worth of prearranged financing to move forward, which should have covered a lot of their their upstream vendors anyway. I hope so. Because I, I, I would think that those companies would not work for them going forward without being at least made whole on some level. Right, that's what I mean. Some people are going to get their, you know, their receivables taken care of, but I imagine some aren't. And it sounds like right. there's, there's a pretty big chunk of it. And, and that's really too bad. That's, that's too bad that that's the case. Cause then, then what it does, is it just becomes, you know, uh, it, it goes from like good old boy network to just fraternity network or whatever the frat, frat boy network, whatever they call it beyond that. I can't remember what the exact term is, but it, uh, it's, it's, it's a level beyond that. Um, anyway, but, we don't want to get too much into the doom and gloom here, but uh, you guys are reinventing yourself somewhat, looking at some solar, uh, some wind, and, and just some opportunities that maybe even involve a subsidy or two, God forbid, but just kind of being forced into that by adaption and survival. And I, I, I think that's where we're at, too. The marketplace seems pretty managed. You know, we talked about the managed marketplace before, and uh, it, it's getting more and more like that, especially during this pandemic and now I'm seeing where there's another round of financing that's going to come through that's going to extend the um, managed marketplace even even further so it'll, it'll be interesting to see how this next fall uh, goes in uh, I did want to ask you guys about uh, the, the kind of the reverse ripple that's going to happen here with the shut-ins uh, you know there's going to be a little bit of a lag uh, we're going into the winter uh, this, we're going to the traditional slowdown time. Uh, Emron, uh, t- talk to me a little bit about what you guys see going into the fall uh, with kind of the new normal, because you mentioned before, we're living in the new normal. This is the new normal. Yeah, no, I think um, definitely, definitely right. I think going into summer, you know, the, the basically supply is definitely high. Um Natural gas prices are, are affected based on that. Uh, but yeah, the new normal is now, at the end of the day, we've been doing things a lot differently than we were before. Um, you know, one of the things that kind of comes to mind around uh, what we were talking about is that we are really uh, focusing on renewables, but, you know, keeping in mind that uh, oil and gas are, are a big part of the, the, the big picture, right? Um, you know, I brought up in the past the whole Paris Agreement. I was reading some stuff this past week around it, um, and it, it seems that there's a lot of different countries, a lot of different companies that are focusing on the whole idea of, um, you know, net zero carbon emissions and things of that nature. Um, you know, I think that's part of the new normal. I think people using energy the same ways as they were before, but now implementing other sources in addition to it. I don't know how reliable those other sources are, as Jeremy was pointing out uh, earlier in the conversation. But yeah, I think um, you know we're we're definitely seeing new ways of doing things and adapting. Uh, at the end of the day, I was just reading an article about the the power and the cost of uh, computers and air conditioners, and whether we're we're getting ahead on the carbon or getting behind on the carbon now because. 
the amount of uh, air conditioners that are running. And then, of course, everybody's working from home and doing everything. And they got three computers going. One's watching Netflix. The other one's doing a quarantine party. And the other one's working on Zoom meetings. So people are, are you know, doing different things, but they're, they're at their house. So I find it interesting how just we're shifting a little bit with our our energy and, and, and jobs and, and just how we're doing different things. But I do want to get back to natural gas for a second because Mexico is still salivating to try to get some more natural gas. The pipelines are pretty much continuing on from what I see. I mean, you know, we, we saw one crude one go down, but another one doubled down uh, over the same weekend. Um, I'm looking at natural gas more as this this foundational type of a, a, a vehicle, but the international market is really going to kick off as soon as, I guess, uh, the, the pipelines get done being built. Uh, Brandon, have you looked at that international market in terms of, you know, Mexico and, and just some of these other areas, whether it be through just selling it outright through the leases or have you looked at maybe an innovation side? You mentioned the plastics earlier. That's what made me think of it because I used to give examples, you know, for emission management that, if we, if we could subsidize these these natural gas guys, they, they'd probably figure out a way to put a pool in everybody's backyard for a thousand bucks with some super plastic, you know? Um, anyway, have you, have you looked at the innovation side of natural gas? I, I, outside of the plastics to fuel, no. And the, and the you know, international market for gas, is, of course, that will probably help us all. Um, mm. I don't see how it doesn't. And that's why we're, that's part of the reason we're looking at natural gas between that and LNG going overseas. Um, that's, it's a big market and I don't see it shrinking. I think it's going to grow a lot. And uh, as it grows, the price will come up and the demand will, um, increase. And those are, those are the most important things for us. What did I see down in Lake Charles? There was a uh, French company. It was a, it was a European company and, they're, just, they're building a natural gas plant because it's like 15 bucks over in Europe and it's cheaper to get it here and ship it over there than it is to deal with the politics over in Europe. I mean, you can't make it up. So it, I, I think the international market's just primed, ready for, you know, these types of things. So uh, just to kind of validate that, that a little bit. But uh, how about an update from Houston down there, guys? You, you know, you guys are down in Houston. You're, you're going to the... You know, lunch places and the different clubs and checking people out at the various functions, I guess. Are people going out and about, or did the last week uh, coronavirus shut everybody down? I think everybody's going out as much as possible. You know, they're, you know we've, we've got some um, mask orders and, and continually trying to, you know, you know curb, the, uh, curb the percentages. Um, I think they've shut down the bars now for a little while longer, but... Uh, you know, there is more people out and about. I wouldn't say that it's got anywhere close to normal, back to normal, or or mainstream Houston as of yet. Even in the last few weeks, though, not much has changed. Right. I mean, it's about it's the same. For a while. Yeah, it's about the same as it's been since they opened everything back up. It's maybe a little less, but not much. Um, you know, I don't... Most of that is dependent on who's reporting what yeah. and what, what station you're listening to. I mean, we keep hearing from other people that are calling in, calling us personally and asking, oh, everything okay down there? The hospitals are full. And I just laugh. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel it being as bad as those, they're, they're portraying the pictures. So. Absolutely. I could be naive. I'm not, I've been wrong a lot in my life. 
at least twice a day. So, well, um, I, 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 I could tell you from, from the media's perspective, even when there's not a crisis, we're going to report it like there is. So it's just, you know, that's, that's the way, that's kind of a little secret in the media. Just, just keep everybody at high alert all the time, no matter what it is, and then at least you can get people's attention. So that's where we try to do something a little bit different, but uh, that's about it. Oh, I remember what I wanted to ask you guys. Football season's coming up. You guys are football players. I read over the weekend Jerry Jones is looking at natural gas in East Texas. I mean, I tell you, if Jerry Jones is looking at stuff in East Texas and natural gas, you guys, you guys must be really on to something. Yeah, he's been owning a lot of it. Yeah, he, he bought out he bought out Comstock and, and MERS, Covey Park, and Comstock together last year. He spent a billion dollars on that acquisition alone. I'm making another acquisition. Who's that, a backup so, to Ezekiel they, Elliott, or who's that? What? Com, I'm just kidding. Never mind. That was bad joke. <laughs> That's his news, right? That's how he gets into the news is through uh, Ezekiel Elliott. Exactly. <laughs> so, he, so he he bought a I'm couple. Sure that, um, I'm sure that Jerry is. I'm sure that Jerry is smart enough to be looking for distressed companies with very valuable assets on the cheap right now. Oh, I would think so. I would think so. That definitely. I I I would imagine there's going to be some mergers and acquisitions in in the next six months. Um, now I think I, you're going to see more bankruptcies. I, I was just going to say, God, I feel like taking a bet: more bankruptcies or more M and A activity? Uh, because I was man, I, I got I got twenty I got twenty to one on the bankruptcies. I almost said now that the bankruptcy run is done, but I I pulled back and thought, no, there's going to be more. And then and then Brandon, that was you that chimed in, right? That said about the bankruptcies. Yes. Yeah, and I agreed. I, I do think there's going to probably be more bankruptcies than, than mergers, actually. Um, but uh, who knows? I, I just I anyway. Think that's what everybody's. I think that's what everybody's looking at right now. They're going into Q4. They're are, are going to be in Q4 pretty soon. Their hedges are going to run up at the end of the year, and they're they're all going to sit there and and uh, use the last bit of their hedge money to probably pony up on attorneys to. You know, file Chapter 11. I think in Q4, you're going to see a lot of Chapter 11s. I do, too. Um, over the last week, I sent out, and this was just kind of anecdotal, I sent out, uh, I suppose it was close to 300 emails. Uh, just what I did was I grabbed my business cards from the last probably year and a half at conferences. Uh, I had in a shoebox type of a thing, and I just sent out emails, you know, hey, how you doing? Just check it in type of a thing. And this is no lie, guys. No lie. Out of the close to 300, easily 70% no longer at the email address anymore. Easily 70%. That was an eye-opener to me. That just the last year and a half you've collected these cards? Just, yeah. Because, yeah, you know what I mean? Just over the last year and a half, I, I was going to some shows. And a lot of people, obviously, were in sales and biz dev and middle management and that type of thing. Because... A lot of the CEOs were no longer going to the conferences and, and to the different events. That was the first, you know, 2010, 11, and 12. And, and then, I have never gone to the conferences and such. I've always had other people go or not shown any presence whatsoever. But that is normal for oil and gas. Right. Every 18 months, the person's business card is worthless. I, I don't even think it's worth printing them anymore. That that was just that was an eye opener to me though man I couldn't believe it and and if that's normal that's that 
I, I get that being through three three different uh, ups and downs now through this industry. But I've seen it, I've seen it three times, and three, it, three downturns in eleven years now. Yeah, I mean, and, and when it happens, it happens fast. See, this is why the oil and gas industry needs to be a leader right now in the economy because everybody's like shitting pants, shitting their pants right now, and you guys are like, oh. This is no big deal. Who wants to go grab it's a drink? Normal. <laughs> it's normal. Hook her down and survive, man. If <laughs> you get, if you get the ribs marinating, we got to get the grill cooking, guys. Come on, we got we got better things to do than to worry. I mean, that's why I'm saying the energy industry, oil and gas, should be a leader right now in the economy. I mean, they should. The, the, the news should have people on every night with guys like you telling people it's all cool, it's fine. We're 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 going to make it through this. <laughs> That, that wouldn't be good news, though, would it, for them? <laughs> no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be. It's uh, what, what do we up here in the uh, North Dakota? We like to call what we do weather terrorism during the winter time. You know, just make sure people are glued to their their apps and their phones and their televisions and everything because the blizzard may come. Winter is coming. <laughs> it's just we got. I mean, it's called weather terrorism. There's no other word for it. It's just anyway, but. Uh, well, gentlemen, let's just kind of, I guess, wrap her up here. I'm looking at the, uh, the clock and, and anything that we left out of today's discussion. I, I find it very interesting about the, um, 70%, uh, business cards that, um, when you say that it doesn't shock me now that, uh, I could very, very much see that, but it was just, it was shocking to me that there would be that much turnover, uh, but not really, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if you're not planning on doing business with someone in the next 45 days, don't bother taking a card. It's kind of my policy. <laughs> then they just pile up and you can't get a hold of them anyway. Right? I mean, that's just the way it is. It's been that way for 10 years now. That's a good point. Yeah. I think there's a shift to going into all of the uh, different platforms that are out there, uh, like LinkedIn and things too, right? These guys are, you know, companies might be gone, but the folks might be working at another company or whatever is going on, but... Yeah, that, that shift is uh, is not pleasant to see. This is going to be the next big story in energy, by the way, uh, is is the people that were laid off, if, if they're going to come back or if they're going to go into different industries. And the reason I say that is because uh, the oil and gas industry now is a polarizing and a political, and it's, just, it's, it's more than just an industry. It's uh, people sometimes do or do not talk to other people because of their association with the industry. So you might have people that just leave the industry because they don't want to deal with the public shaming, or you might have people, you know, sticking around, doubling down, basically mowing people's lawns just to have access to Jerry Jones, you know. Um, by the way, I would mow Jerry Jones's lawn. I would to have access to him. It's just, it's not. If I, if I needed the money, I'd mow everybody's lawn and pay them to eat, to feed my kids, you know, whatever. It's just mowing the yard. That, I don't mind mowing the yard, taking out the trash, digging a ditch, whatever. Do it. It's just work. So the question I have is, uh, you know, these, these uh, shift in employees right now that's, that's happening, a uh, little bit of an automation shift, a little bit of a warehouse shift, if you will. Um, how do you think this is going to work for the oil and gas industry? Uh, do you think the people that worked in the industry, they're going to continue to support the industry when they're no longer employed by the industry? Uh, actually, I, I think you're going to see big, big groves and waves of people that come and go leave. And, and we're always going to need fresh talent until it stabilizes. 
you're, you're even starting to see programs uh, like in the Permian Basin that they have now. They're giving away scholarships for kids coming out of high school uh, where their their entire education is paid for kind of similar, you know, similar to um, like uh, like a military scholarship or, or something like that. Uh, maybe that was the wrong analogy, but I, I did I did see where they're starting to do subs subsidized scholarships to increase new talents coming into our in industry, kind of trying to combat some of the things, the negative connotations that you're talking about. I imagine through like a STEM program. Yeah. Something like I, that. But no. at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you know, we, we as far from an engineering perspective, you know, uh, five years ago or seven years ago or whatever it was, petroleum engineering or that job function was the, the number one in the country at the time. So, I mean, there's a plethora of talent out there. It just all depends on if you can get them to come back to this industry. Well, and I think that uh, a lot of these people that got laid off were worthless anyway. So a lot of fat, they, they might have not really been doing much to earn the living they were making. And, um, you know, and maybe they weren't in love with it anymore. Every once in a while, you got to change what you're doing to move on and, and, and to live. So who knows? I mean, there's lots of opportunity. I love the program for the college kids. I think that's brilliant. Um, I saw, I read an article about that last week. Yep. Um, very cool. And, uh, I think that there should be more of that coming from this industry because otherwise they're going to have a hard time getting people to take those majors and it'll be a shortage again in five years. Well, but I think as an industry, as an industry strategy as a whole, I think that we need to focus more on being leaner and meaner and getting things done without that that mid-level, senior-level layer of fat in there. We, you know, across service companies and oil companies alike, you know, we have to trim the headcount in order to fit the business. There's managers that manage managers that manage managers that manage teams. So if you got rid of like three layers of management and just went straight to the team, you'd probably end up making more money and not not wasting exactly people that have talent and like getting them to a point where they're basically worthless. That makes them lazy. Yeah. It's a great line in office space. What would you say that it is you do here? What do you actually do here? You know? No, I, I do see where there are going to be, uh, you know, they're ushering in some more automation. And when you take a look at during the last downturn, they were – you know, like up in the Bakken, they were still pumping out a million barrels a day at 30, 40 bucks a barrel. And even during some some of the last downturn or some of the last oil prices, they still put out some pretty good numbers of production. So the rig counts changed a little bit. They're ushering in a little bit more automation, a little bit more innovation. But all that means is jobs are changing and some descriptions are being a little bit different. Like you mentioned, they're they're separating some of the wheat from the chaff right now, and that's needed. That's definitely needed, no question about it. But I do see where like STEM and uh, these programs that we're talking about is going to be a real opportunity for oil and gas because that's how they're going to connect with the kids is is by some of the automated processing that is becoming a little bit more safe at the well site. That's what they're, they're a lot of the, the automation they're ushering in first is complete safety driven. You know, they did it in farming too. Uh, for a long time, farming was the most dangerous uh, occupation there was, agriculture, but they'd never, never talk about it because they, they just didn't want to talk about that. Uh, automation, of course, has helped change a lot of, a, a lot of that. So I, I see where... Uh, oil and gas has got an actual real opportunity now. 
uh, with the kids, and I haven't seen that for a long time. But uh, I don't know if you guys follow the automation side of things and just kind of some of the innovation they're ushering in that is helping uh, shave some of the expenses and then separate the wheat from the chaff a little bit. Uh, we do. We definitely keep up with that stuff, and that you know those those things are key in our plans going forward in order to be leaner and meaner and be able to control OPEX uh, from the, the remotes of your fingertips rather than have to have it people-driven all the time. I think you're right on with that, uh, the, the STEM programs and, uh, you know, the way technology has been moving forward. Quite honestly, I think one of the areas that we forget about quite a bit in oil and gas uh, relates to a lot of the offshore work. A lot of that work, the technology that's there is probably more incredible than the technology required to get people to the moon. Um, you know, thinking about going down uh, 10,000 or 15,000 feet below water to be able to find oil. Um, and the only reason why I bring that up is just th there's lots of great technologies out there, for, for example, like Google Glasses, that allow a lot of work to be done without having too many people uh, at a platform to where you can be able to create a safer work environment. Um, you know, I think a lot of the negative connotations that people bring with carbon and, uh, you know, the carbon footprint being so big with oil and gas is a, is a big issue. Um, you know, I think when you get past that and realize, you know, a lot of these guys are, a lot of these companies are becoming energy companies and not just oil and gas companies, you get further along with it. Um, you know, for example, having unmanned platforms like they do, Equinor does off uh, by by uh, Norway and things like that. It's nice to be able to see those types of technologies out there, and that's all in oil and gas, guys. It's not in you know some other government-related company or you know doing something in outer space. Um, I think once you realize that and, and can tell kids that and spend money around those areas, those STEM programs can be very valuable.